podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Right, another podcast in the can, Grits. Big fan of that one. Uh, some expert opinions from... Finally? Yeah. <laughs> some finally, some... You can hear them laughing in the back. They're not welcome on this, but this is, a, this is specifically those, but as they're still this in the room... behind the we curtain. We have to speak nicely. No, it was brilliant to have them on, because the, the, it's funny, isn't it, actually? Who do we have? Uh, Johnny Gould. Who, Johnny Gould's voice, by the way. I know, rich. Oh, four. Luscious. Isn't it? Um, yeah, there he is. What a voice. Uh, we were lucky to have him on and, and gave us some real good background on uh, some Villa stories, but also just some general chit-chat about the internationals. Which and, we uh, yeah, on. absolutely. And we had uh, Harry Savage, uh, Britain's youngest man, yeah. in, in the studio <laughs> with us. Uh, that was Heroic. He, how, how, was he 20? How... how how much? How does that make me feel about myself? Are you twice as age? We'll take this offline. Um, <laughs> uh, right. No, brilliant to have had. But that was a really good I'll, podcast. Listen to it if you like yep. it. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblower Podcast. Uh, as ever, I'm Mark Smith, as I always am at all times, and I'm with Martin Gritton, like normal, Martin. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be back. It feels like it's been a while. Yeah, I was on holiday last week. You were? And you were... Where were you last week? Busy. Busy. Uh, Um, I know what the story is. We have... Yeah, we have a couple of great guests with us tonight. So, uh, broadcaster and... Is it chairman or director of the... Director. Director Director of the Aston Villa Supporters Trust, I believe. Johnny Gold. It's a pleasure to be here, boys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Also joining us is broadcaster and commentator Harry Salvage. Thank you very much for having me. Good to have you here, Harry. Harry covers uh, some of some games in the, the the southwest of the country, but you've been you've covered games across all the country, I suppose. Not just Torquay. Not just Torquay. I've done a bit of Barnet, so I've been up to Wales for Wrexham. Uh, had that fantastic FA Cup run last year. Some fantastic memories, especially yeah. the Brentford game. I didn't even know if the free kick went in because I couldn't see it go in when Dan Sparks scored it. So yeah, been across the country with Barnet and uh, mainly in the southeast with Torquay. Lovely. Harry, you're the youngest person we've ever had on the show, or that I've ever met. <laughs> uh, how old are you? 20. 20 of the Queen's years. Imagine that, Grits. What would you give Johnny to be 20 again? Well, uh, I do remember being 20, but it was in 1987. <laughs> okay, well, podcast is finished. That's fine. Let's all go home. No, this is good. We've got a, a broad spectrum of experience here, Mark. This is exactly what we're after. We've got experience, we've got youth, we've got English, we've got... I mean Scottish, and where better place to start, Martin, than the international weekend we've just had? It was disgusting. It was a horrible weekend. The weekend. Did, did, of... you, did you watch the game? Uh, I watched. Could you watch the game? I watched. Uh, well, I watched this weird coverage that on Sky Sports News has uh, basically someone from each country in the studio, and last night was just an extra kick in the nuts, basically because I had Jamie Ward, who I replaced at Chesterfield, and then the fans booed me for two years because I wasn't Jamie Ward. I had Mark Crossley, who then came in as the incumbent goalkeeping coach and was just an ever-present around, hi Mark, around, uh, <laughs> around Chesterfield with John Sheridan, who was another man that we, I didn't particularly get on with. So there was that constant reminder. And then Stuart McCall, ex-Rangers, who just sat on the end and just shook his head. Murder, the only thing that I, that's the only thing I was happy about was seeing Stuart McCall in so much discomfort. But yeah, um, but yeah it was pretty brutal the whole weekend. So I should explain then, we're recording this on uh, a Tuesday before the England game, so we can't talk about the cost of a game. Um, but Scotland last night, I mean, Johnny, did you watch the game last night, Scotland-Belgium? I did, unfortunately, and uh, I cannot understand how Steve Clark could not select John McGinn. How who is that is, possible, I Johnny? Mean, uh, 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 Scotland haven't had many Premier League players over the last ten years. He scored his first Premier League goal... Uh, in the uh, previous defeat uh, against Russia. Um, He is in such form. He is so highly motivated. 
Uh, he has been vindicated moving to Aston Villa in the Championship as opposed to Celtic for a treble treble. And it has benefited him massively. He's made a positive start to the season in a Villa side that's still finding its way. And for Clark not to put his name at least first on the sheet... Bringing him on after 86 minutes, I don't know. I can that's an insult. Him. That's an insult. It's an insult. I can't understand it at all. And, of course, Belgium are, you know, arguably the best side in the world. I mean, they're certainly in the top three. Mm. They're certainly in the top one, young man. <laughs> no, but, I mean, you know, you've got to play Premier League players We're sending back. Send him back. I mean, like, send him back to train, get back in the thick of it, have a couple of days off. Don't mug him off by bringing him on for four minutes. Absolute madness. Yeah. yeah. Well, what... what, what Genuinely, what could be the reason for him not being picked at the moment? Can, can you think of anything logically that would well, back it? I think fan, they just knew that Steve Clark's, uh, the the premise was that they were never going to get anything from the game. There was nothing expected of them. In but a, surely, as, as a Scotland fan, you, you've got to still want your team to put out their best eleven oh, and, and put up some sort of show, right? Me and Johnny are on the same team on that one. I, 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 it was absurd. Steve Clark has a Kilmarnock thing going on. He sort of views players over and above their station in life. Now, for me, if I'm looking at um, Scotland, um, knowing what I know about McGinn, knowing the kind of character he is, I'd pick him, obviously, to take on a midfield chock full of De Bruyne and Lukaku. I mean, he knows these guys, and he's of that level, and he's really earned his corn to do so. I just... just, It doesn't make sense. You would only say the only player who probably would get in that team sheet in front of them is Andrew Robertson. Yeah. Because he's won the Champions League with Liverpool. Yeah. So, uh, bringing for four minutes against the Belgian side, which every single position in that Belgian side is taken up by at least a top-flight player yeah. who's playing in the top yeah. two or three teams in that league. Well, let's not dwell on Scotland as no, far as that was. No, let's not dwell as much um, as we can on Scotland. Yeah, that was great. So, Harry Kane's <laughs> hat-trick, Mark, come talk me through that. Um, um, very Harry Kane-esque, wasn't it? It was very Harry Kane-esque. Yeah, I got a text off a Spurs-supporting friend saying, just unequivocally, he's the best penalty taker of all time. Uh, I, and, I, I, and I get plenty of pushback on it, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but name me three better penalty takers currently playing. Mm, well, I, can I just say, as a 52-year-old, I'm going to add Phil Neal of Liverpool yeah, absolutely. in Is there. Because, playing? no, uh, I mean, he, obviously he's older than me. He's in his 60s now. But Phil Neal <laughs> in Liverpool's team of the late 70s and early 80s is arguably the greatest league side that this country has ever produced. Before three points for a win, they got 68 points, mm. which is like about 100 million in three points for a win. <laughs> uh, they conceded just four goals at home all season and 12 on the road. And they were, you know, dominant and they retained the title and they yeah. were winning European Cups. This guy was the right back and he took a penalty. Top right-hand corner, top left-hand corner. You know, this is before the Premier League, so of course football didn't exist. Just then. one penalty, though. Was it just one? Was he, he the, was penalty, the taker? penalty taker? The, they gave it to the right back. They didn't give it to Dalglish or Rush or, yeah, yeah. or whoever. And anyway, so Cantona could take a penalty as well because he'd psyched the goalkeeper out before he'd even started. Yeah. Um, Kane is a great pro, and it's not just about his penalties. It's about the whole shooting match, isn't it? Yeah. This guy could be a celebrity. I don't want to be a celebrity. I just want to be the best footballer I can be. Yeah, and for yeah. an England fan, that is a breath of fresh air. Gets his head down, works yeah. hard. Love him. Doesn't muck about with Instagram, <laughs> does he, granddad? Exactly. I think he, he Kane does. Nice did those. Doesn't he? Which gets He's got a team that does that. He's, He's that surrounded by. But we've had we've had a few weeks of talking about penalties here, Harry. Uh, we talked about the Pogba, the Rashford thing. It's all you know. It's all been kicking off. But Harry Kane is someone who, obviously, like Johnny says, is a pro. He works at it nonstop. There was an article about him in the paper last week about how he stays behind for fifty or hundred penalties after training. Sometimes, um, how much stock do you place in having 
a penalty taker, a designated penalty taker, who you know, no matter what's happened, if he's missed his last three, he's still the guy. Yeah, well, you've got, you've got to trust him. That, of course, Hurricane's a striker. That's his job is to score the penalties. Obviously, talking about right-back scoring penalties. If you can take them and score them, make him in charge of penalties. I can't say much with Torquay, because Torquay can't score a penalty to save their life at the moment. I think, right. I think the stats have been like seven missed penalties in their last nine penalties or something. Should be like that. But you have to have that designated player. I don't understand teams who have two players taking penalties. In a Watford perspective, it's Troy Deeney who takes the penalties. I actually don't know who's the second penalty taker when, at the moment. Never it's, come up. it's never come up. Right. Mainly because Watford never win penalties. They concede penalties constantly. Um, but you need that constant taking the penalties all the time. Or otherwise, every single player goes, oh, I took the last one. I want to take this one. And then the other player going, no, you took the last one. I want to take this one. And it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, I think in a more general point with that England game, it was... A very unremarkable 4-0, which is a great thing to be able to say as an England fan. We've not had that for a long, long time, I think. The gap between England and the rest of the continent, I'm absolutely delighted to say, is quite stark. We used to labour through matches against Bulgaria mm. in the Twin Towers, of Broadwall, Cobbertite against <laughs> Dill, Dill, and think? all plucky Bulgaria there hitting the crossbar. <laughs> so, but, you know, finally we've got professionals who are not... Yeah. Um, shocked by putting on the three lions because putting on the three lions they, this, this, this thing that people of my age go on about, I do apologise here oh yeah, when you, go, when you step up to international level it's something, it's, hang on, these guys play Champions League level, no one's going to tell me that international level's right. higher than Champions League level it just isn't, uh, the Champions League is easily the best level of football in the world and so it is a busman's holiday for the likes for Bulgaria though Johnny, that's for Bulgaria, a difference yeah, but they, because, they, they can't, they can't the line Campbell for us they can't but it's us. not just the continent, it's a very specific area of the continent, it's like this area yeah. you know, from Slovenia, For you look at the way that some of the teams were dispatched, I mean it's, it's pretty derisory compared to what they used to be. So you, your Romania, your Bulgaria, I mean, we probably, re- our optics are 94 World Cup in USA when they were both yeah. quite prominent teams. But the, uh, anything from that Eastern European bloc is pretty depressing, isn't it? I mean, Croatia, Bosnia, there's, they're kind of anomalies. Kosovo, Serbia, Kosovo, an- anomalies in a way, right? but just... We have what's one happened? excellent country that's come out of it, which is, over the last 20 years, the formation of Croatia, mm-hmm. who, of course, have contested the World Cup final. And that is because every single one of their players plays in Italy, Spain, and England, and Germany. And when you have that elite professional playing their trade, and when they have that reputation, then, yes, the uh, national side can be plonked in a Latin country and, uh, and develop as, uh, as a nation... Um, Portugal's the same. I know they're a Western European nation, but anyone worth their salt will look at the Portuguese nation and pick out a great central defender and a great midfielder because that's what they're famous for. Um, So it is great to see um, nations who have that footballing reputation. Holland's the same. I mean, really... Uh, talk about a country that punches above its weight yeah, yeah. over and over and generationally all the time. When they don't qualify, it's like because they've all fallen out with each other. Normally the case. Yeah, it's like, but they are an amazing country. But we're in the middle of an international break now, so there's no Premier League, no Championship. And traditionally, this has been a horrible no-man's land for football, where everyone's just sort of collectively sighed and been bored. And, oh, come on. <laughs> Do you feel like there's a bit of a change now, though? Do you feel like people now, given the Southgate effect, given how positive we all at least pretend to be about uh, England. Is this now quite a welcome break? Do we, do we now enjoy the friendlies and, and, the, and the qualifying games? I think me personally, as somebody who loves non-league football, I don't mind the international break because I will go down to my local football club and watch them play if I'm not doing a game or I'll 
watch Torquay play, used to watch Barnett play during during the international breaks. But we're now with England, it's enjoyable to watch them, which has not been the difference of the past. I think the only issue with England at the moment is they're not in groups where you've got Northern Ireland's group, group Northern Ireland who are a plucky nation at the moment doing really well. They only lost 2-0 to Germany. I know Germany's got so many issues with them at the moment. Yogi Love's under a lot of pressure at the moment to try and perform, especially after that World Cup. But with England, it's, they're not in a group where they're facing another top team. Which yeah. is, I think I sort of sat like the last time England lost the international final, uh, international qualifier was like 2009, I think it was. Is that right? Something stupendous like that. Yeah. Uh, but no, it makes watching England enjoyable and watching them during international tournaments as well is enjoyable because I remember at the Euros watching the Slovakia game. That was dreadful. <laughs> but then when you go into the World Cup, you're going into games going, England have a chance of actually doing something and it's making England enjoyable to watch again. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think it's. I think it has seen. It seems to have lasted certainly the year since the World Cup, and now I no longer dread the international break. Well, let's move on. Let's just move on from the international break because we've got lots of games to look forward to. We've got two experts. (laughs) I feel like you really want to to get away from the Scotland debacle. I think we've done it. I think we've put it to bed. Yeah. All right. Well, let's have a break then instead and come back and talk about some uh, what more upbeat football games. Yes, please. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the show. Uh, they were the adverts. Martin, enjoy the adverts? Yeah, it was brilliant. brilliant. You like adverts, As always. You? Yes, I do. Well, it's a good job because we've got another advert basically coming up now. Uh, we're joined <laughs> by lovely, uh, lovely Pete Starr from Matchpint. Matchpint are the company that pays my wages, <laughs> sort of. And Martin, how much of your wages does it pay? Yeah, great. Uh, all the wages. All the wages. <laughs> Pete, tell us about Matchpoint. Pete, hello, hello. what is Matchpoint, mate? What's going on? What's going on? Well, um, if you've listened at uh, any point in the last few weeks, I'm sure you'll have heard about the uh, Matchpoint Premier Predictor, uh, our sort of uh, prediction game, uh, Premier Leagues. Um, basically, every single weekend, you set the scores on your televised games, get it right, you get a free bud. Um, a free bud per, per score you get right, or per... Uh, one per week. One per week. Do you have to get all the scores right? Not at all. Um, you can put in four of the worst predictions of your life. Yep. You get that fifth one right. You're, uh, oh, right. I like those odds. Your bud, yeah. your bud is secured. Almost more than I like bud, but there we go. I'm joking. <laughs> I love, I love bud. bud. I, it's a great daytime. It's a great daytime drink. That's such a Scottish man. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a starter. It's a soup. If you need to be. <laughs> Cooking lager. But yeah. no, no, let's not slag off the sponsors. Um, no. So what I'm, just a quick note to say, basically, on top of winning your, uh, your beers every single week, uh, we obviously have our monthly leagues. Um, if you top those, you know, we've got Premier League tickets um, to give away. We've got beer tabs. So plenty of prizes for having a go at it. Absolutely. Uh, and the good news is, it's a new month, so they've just all reset. Oh, right. Okay. So, so if you've had a terrible August, don't worry about it. If you're an awful football predictor, <laughs> it's your time to yes. shine. And it's free. free. Uh, all absolutely free. That's awesome. Um, Talk there about leagues. Are you in a league? Uh, I'm in lots of leagues. Okay. Yeah. Have you got a league at Matchpoint? I've uh, got a Matchpoint league. Got a. Um, What's the prize if you, if you win that? Yeah, I'm actually pretty smug uh, at the moment. So September league, uh, there was a mystery prize, yeah. um, which has been revealed to be the day off after the Christmas party. Oh! Huge. And that's that worth one thousand pounds. Huge, true. I'd have taken bud. I'd have taken a breakfast bud. <laughs> I was on holiday when I received the news, and that what, was like what a double whammy! <sighs> Come Sunshine on, Sunshine and day off after Christmas. Yeah. So yeah. you can you know set up your own private leagues, and if you convince your boss to, <laughs> I'll never, I'll never <laughs> day off. be able to do that. You're our boss, Pete. Well. It's you granted. Our, our bosses. <laughs> it's now granted. Uh, where can we find out more about this, Pete? 
so free on the App Store, iOS and Android. Give it a download. Um, and you very much have a Whistleblowers League, which you can sign up to. Yes. Um, with the code Whistleblowers, I believe. iOS and Android. He, he's Greek, isn't he? he yeah. Greek. <laughs> Hell of a player. Awful first touch. Um, so but, it's, it's a good idea to get it downloaded in time for this game's coming up this weekend. Well, I think you can win every single weekend, but as we start of a new month, you've got a clean slate. We gave away... Get on board. 6,000 beers in September. 16 pairs of Premier League tickets. We even had, we even had tickets to the Man United-Chelsea. Yeah. That's some lucky rot I got. Um, so yeah, well worth your time, um, even if just to um, add a bit of spice to that group chat banter. Lovely. Lovely. Well, on that note then, with the uh, games coming up, let's talk about... Some of the biggest fixtures this weekend, Martin. This evening we have, um, obviously, Johnny Gould. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Johnny Gould and Harry Salvage. Harry, we wanted to pick your brains about Watford because the goings-on at that club. Yeah, the uh, goings-on. Well, I've put this statement out right now. I don't think it's the tactics which have let Glacier down. It's the recruitment which has let him down. And with the way Watford work is that the manager rarely gets an opportunity where he gets to bring his own player in. When you've watched Kike Sanchez-Flores, he had Jose Manuel Gerardo, who was useless. He couldn't score to save his life. Brought in Lord Nambrabat as well, who got more red cards than he scored goals, and he's a forward. <laughs> got one red card, didn't score at all. Mm. Grazia, this transfer window, brought in Craig Dawson for four million, which you're thinking, okay, that's not too bad of a signing. Doesn't know where he's at. Doesn't listen to Craig Cathcart, who you would think as the two first-choice centre-backs for Northern Ireland alongside Johnny Evans, they would work well together. They clearly have not. Ismail Assar is, is, a, is a player for the future, but spending £35 million on the player Roberto Pereira could be if he cared, which is the issue there. Danny Welbeck, again, is another player where it would probably be a bit of a long-term but short-term looking at, because obviously at the age he is, you can't give him five years for him to become his best. You've got to give him two or three years. Yeah. And done so well to get someone a kind of a play-as-you-play contract, 25 grand a week, 75 if he plays, which to do that in the Premier League is stupendous. But this team doesn't work. Any the positives, Harry? Any positives? He's getting to it. I get it. <laughs> Just the, the four, the, I didn't want him to, you're getting railed up here, Harry. I'm like, the, don't the, worry, we're not going to hold you personally Put your top back on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the formation of four, four, or the 4-2-2-2 two, two, two doesn't work with Watford. The midfield, you would arguably say, is a top ten midfield of Decore, Capu, Will Hughes. You can throw Domingos Keener in there. Hughes, we, we can talk. We, we, we do, we're going to branch off and do a side pod about Will Hughes. We just are, to that we are Will Hughes such pod, big fans of Will You'll be welcome to join us. The, the, the midfield three, brilliant. Defensive four, apart from Jesse Hollibas, championship mediocrity. The front three, apart from Troy, Andre Gray, um, he's very he's much not, a Marmite character. It's not worked yet, yeah, yeah, Marmite's disgusting. So, <laughs> well, um, the thing is, because he, he used to play for Luton Town, is another reason oh, to add a bit more Marmite in it, which is... Um, I quite like Marmite. You Marmite worse. <laughs> I quite um, like it, so I'm, I'm the opposite fine. of what the advert that's says. Fine. That's good. That's good for you. So, it is, to me, it's the recruitment which has got it wrong. I think the minute that... I lost it with Grazia was when we won a corner against West Ham. It was a back pass from the halfway line, which went straight out for a corner. That corner, they took a short corner, went back to Ben Foster. You're going, you've been gifted a it's corner. It's like two idiots at FIFA. It's like when your sister and uh, you know, your cousin are playing FIFA and they just don't know what the control's doing. And yeah. They... yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- we have a corner, we gifted a corner, and it goes all the way back to Ben Foster. And you're going, we've been gifted a corner. You've got Craig Dawson in the middle, who, yeah. when he was at West Brom, headed everything away. And you play it back. I was a little bit surprised um, when Chris Smalling went to Roma. I thought he's someone that 
the likes of Watford should be looking at is yeah. an experienced yeah. ex-England international who, I, I who might not be great on the ball but has mm. fantastic defensive instincts and would absolutely improve that side rather than the new winger you've bought who yeah he might be fantastic but like you say he's one for the future and he's not in an area of the field where you're absolutely screaming out for improvements no, the, the, the two places are is a bloke who will score at least 10 goals a season because 10 goals a season will keep you up in the league which is in my opinion it's mm. Watford's ambition for the season now is to stay up not try and hit the top 10 which it was last year because of the horrendous start which has happened this season. I'm not, I don't even look at the next few fixtures because I'm going, we're still going to be bottom yeah. by well, it. What are the next few fixtures? So you start uh, Arsenal, Arsenal on home. Sunday. Yep. Uh, Manchester City's in there. Looks a gimme. Uh, Manchester City away. Swansea in the Carabao Cup. Then it's Wolves. Sheffield United at home, which is a potential point picker upper. So and then Tottenham away. Are you already then, as a Watford fan, looking at games and circling games that you think, this is where we need to make yeah. up points? Mm. Are you genuinely concerned about staying up this yes. season? I am. It's a very honest appraisal. Mark, we, we, we had the misfortune to watch the FA Cup final. As fun oh, as it I was. Yeah, as fun as it was to go to Wembley for an FA Cup final. It was great to go. Because it yeah. was one of those things where it's like, oh, it's the FA Cup final. And you go and it's just like, oh my God. It just turned into the Coliseum, didn't it? it well, do you want to tell the listener what, 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 on what minute you left the ground? I can't believe you're doing this. Uh, <laughs> you what was the score? We'll I mean, it was literally... It was a 5 or 4-0, I think like it was. like one of those, you know... Simpsons meme he's already dead situation where just <laughs> let it go just walk away if they could have called half time I mean yeah they would have probably taken it then the thing with me I, I went I went to the game as it's going to an FA Cup final is just completely out of my mind thinking of what for going six seven years ago before the Pozzos came in we were in a we were so close to a Barry situation so close because of Lawrence Bassini who I don't know why Bolton were, yeah. well he was even allowed to talk to Bolton about buying the club there Thank goodness, for Bolton's sake, he didn't. But going to that one, the only thing I will ever remember from the FA Cup final was the pub beforehand, the brilliant atmosphere it was there, the first 20 minutes going, I am really nervous, really nervous. Once Man City scored that first goal, I could enjoy it because I know we weren't going to win it. From the minute we conceded that first goal, I was literally like, if we have another shot, it will look like we've won it. Part of time. That's very, very well put, Harry. I totally agree with you that. Uh, and the atmosphere and the, the occasion of the FA Cup is what me and Mark went there for and just and the fans were great the, 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 the thing is I think, I think it was when we went 5-0 down I think we just went screw it let's just enjoy it absolutely we, we, I mean, the next time th- probably three was probably but you're not game. playing a level playing field I mean, no. Miguel Delaney the independent well, wrote it, extensively about Man City yeah. he said this was the tipping point in, in uh, domestic football uh, Man City and the I mean I'll say financial doping I think that's basically what it is Miguel mm. doesn't go that far but this seems to me like a, a real watermark but the, moment. But the thing is, for me, you looked at the players who Man City brought on that day. I think it was Leroy Sane, Sergio Aguero, and David Silva. Yeah. We brought on Isaac Success. I think, uh, who else was it? Ken Semmer. I can't remember the last bloke who we brought on. And you're going, this is the, how much we paid for them is a week's wages for those Better names, though. Much better names. Ken yeah. Semmer and Isaac Success. Uh, I don't mind that. Did you watch, the, did you remember back to the FA Cup? It was probably, it was quite forgettable. Um, Aston Villa also... Uh, competed in a completely one-sided um, mess of a final in 2015. And that is the thing about the FA Cup final. These games are being quickly forgotten. We got tonked 4-0 by Arsenal. And it was a season before our terrible relegation. And we looked like we were falling off. And it really was a case of Champions League against Premier League team. The gulf was absolutely enormous. And the FA Cup final cannot afford... Uh, games like this where the gulf is so huge where in the same league um, you know you're going to get 6-0 victories 
in, in the Premier League and in cup finals uh, just because the financial gap, like the substitutes you mentioned, just this is not right. I think, I think the thing that which frustrated me the most about the final was 6-0 down, we were still singing. Man City fans didn't look like they cared that they won it. And well, there, there, there were some fans, there was one fan who posted on a forum afterwards, because he had to leave early because he had to work, and I think he was quite thankful that he had to work. And there was thousands of Man City fans walking out at the same time. Somebody spoke to some of them and went... Um, why, why are you leaving? You're, you're going to win a cup. And to them, we're going, oh, we expect to win this. Yeah. And as a Watford fan, I would give every limb of my body yeah. to see us in an FA Cup final again. Because don't, it don't. changes. <laughs> when you win a trophy, Metaphorically. it changes that football oh, club. Yeah. Of we it urgently wanted spoils. to win that yeah. FA Cup in 2015. We lost to Manchester United in the 2009 League Cup final. Mm. Um, we A piece of silverware in between that and 2001 which was the Inter 2 bob, and the 96 League Cup final would have made all the difference. Actually, we got there by hook or by crook by winning you know, the playoff by finishing basically third yeah. in the championship in a, in a major uh, final, which, of course, is worth £180 million and resurrects us as a Premier League side. That, that has given us uh, um, a, a sort of lifeblood, uh, albeit not in a sort of exactly like a cup final in the same way, although it's had the same effect. Cups really change history. Mm. They change investment and they tell a story. And when you talk about Watford and Bassini nearly taking you out, Aston Villa were in a very situation that is not an exaggeration. Um, about 15 months ago, we had mm. no money left. We'd spent next season's parachute money. But it was the narrative of the European Cup in 1982, the fact that we do have that beautiful stadium, the fact that Randy Lerner invested in us back then. There is a story that someone could invest in at Aston Villa and look what it's done in a way that I'm, like, I'm not taking the Mick here, but you can't get that at Birmingham City. Mm. You know, there's Let's, no there's no story about blue. Well, keep like keep that on the Villa the, the Villa story this season. How do you see that panning out? Because it's it, they're a very interesting proposition for the Premier League because they are a, they're a superpower essentially yeah. from the nineties that people want to succeed. You know, you, we look at Forest, we look at Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. we look at clubs that have that certain Derby. Yeah, the, the, sorry, Mark's a Derby fan. Derby but that story, right. the, the stories that there to be told and and. Almost people want to get behind. Yeah, I, I, growing up in the East Midlands, not a million miles away from Aston Villa, they were a, they were a huge, huge club still. It yeah. felt like, and you still had that hangover from the European Cup, yes. where we all knew that Villa are a European superpower. And for them to be back in the league again now, I think, is generally good for football because of the recognition of that brand around the world. Yeah. As horrible as that sounds, but yeah. that's how football works now. Yeah, it, um, we, you know, we are we are a, we are a famous old club, and the weight of expectation was absolutely enormous in our three years of exile in a minute and the club was still being run in a Premier League way but without the money and when we went to the AGM we organised that Christian Perslow our chief executive should be there and he laid it on the line to us very clearly he said that Huddersfield Town and Fulham and Swansea City had a hundred million pounds worth of television revenue guaranteed however wrong they were in the Premier League and we had seven million and we were being screened much more than any other side mm in the championship and that had to change and we luckily we rolled the dice and we found our way back but boy oh boy was it tight and you know I wish Mel Morris the success because he has a proper go mm. like Villa you know selling the stadium to Derby mm. County Stadium Limited he's savvy he's, he really is having a go he doesn't deserve to be punished by Steve Gibson we have, uh, you know, we're, we were under the same scrutiny. We've sold our stadium yeah. to Aston Villa Stadiums Limited. Mm. But, of course, uh, the Premier League 
in relation to the EFL is soft touch in terms of its regulation. Yeah. By, by Dane of that Wembley final victory, we have essentially got away with that mechanic and we move on and there for the grace of God go I. What ambitions this season, Johnny? Can we talk about that? And talk is it, is it just what, staying up? Or is no, it? no, we, we need to be a bit better than that. Look, we've made, a, we've, made a, we've made a difficult start in the sense that we got three points from four games and all three points were earned in a home win over Everton, but they were earned in a home win over Everton. We looked the part. I was at Spurs away. I was at Crystal Palace away. Um, we might have got a point at Crystal Palace and that will G us on. Look, it's going to be messy. We will score points against very unlikely sides. We'll may, we may well lose at home to Burnley and win at Man United. It's that sort of thing. But boy, oh boy, every Aston Villa fan's behind Dean Smith. This is a rare appointment because here is an Aston Villa supporter and like no other ex-man, ex-player that comes back as a manager, he's not even an ex-player. He wasn't even good enough to play for Villa. He was a Wolves and Walsall squad member yeah. and he has earned his spurs as a coach, uh, to come back, his dad was the steward at Villa, one yeah, of them. I love that story. You know, he's a really, yeah. oh, we love this guy. Played against him at the moment, he used to kick the shit out of me, he was absolutely hard as nails, I got no change out of the guy. <laughs> and I remember, do you remember, there's a couple of, Sean Dice played against Sean Dice as well. Christ, you play, no, I know, I'm old, but you remember them, because when you play against them, there's very few teams I would play against and go, is he fit? And I'd look at the other team and go, oh, for God's sake. Because you knew... When you talk about Dyche and, and Smith, who weren't great players, but there was something oh, about them that they, made them into good managers. They'd never, back, they'd never back out of anything. Whether they were 60, 40, 70, 30, headers. Headers were there. They preferred it if you won the header because they could stick their head through the back of your head. They, <laughs> they would come through you after. They would wait. But what they, the best thing about them was they'd pick you up and they'd shake your hand. Oh, you right, know, okay. there was no, they weren't dirty. No. They were hard. And I, I respected that somewhat. Uh, particularly being someone that was probably more dirty than hard because I just had to find a clever way around some of these guys but uh, yeah when I played against my Orient and we beat Orient we, we beat them and sometimes he was one of the only players that stood up and was there to be counted which is perhaps the qualities that he's admired about oh, by we, being a manager because you want him alongside well, was you. there a sense of that when you played against him that this guy might oh, go absolutely. in could you tell can you tell leadership leadership is something that, that reeks off someone on a pitch mm. particularly when they come away from home We've watched what Harry. We watched games where Torquay are like they'll take forty fans away to a big stadium, and then you know the character, the players. There's always yeah. leaders on the pitch that you go, "That's a guy that will go on to something." Aaron Downs, perhaps, or mm. someone. Yeah. So these guys are you know great players. Uh, just coming back to what Harry was saying, and, and obviously Johnny talking about stories, but uh, Watford, the Plymouth Argyle, when I played for them, the, one of the lasting legacies Plymouth has, or the Mayflower stand that's just been rebuilt, is a plaque on the wall when they got to the FA Cup semi-final. They played Watford. 1983, Watford won Plymouth nil. George Riley, I think, scored the winner. Now, goal. I can't believe we've got you both here, because Watford was uh, the team, and <laughs> Villa was the location. That's right. But that's a perfect dynamic, showing the value of that, because that was everything to Plymouth, and that's the kind of, they look back to that, Whenever they get a I win. Think, I think yours, I think, oh, got to be 2006, seven. I think it was that season. I think it was one of my first other memories of watching Watford after the Leeds playoff game was watching Hammer Boatza play against Argyle down at Home Park. Mm. And, th- and that game, which I thought, oh, Watford can be good, because that was a season where <laughs> punching above a weight was probably the nicest way of putting it that season, Watford. 
Well, all good memories. Let's, uh, Harry, just uh, just a quick one to, to round up, because I know we've focused a lot on, on other things tonight, so we'll, we'll leave the Premier League predictions and uh, round up to next week's. But um, yourself, what's going on at the minute, Harry? What are you working on? Uh, so, as you said, we've done plenty of talkie games together, which uh, hopefully there'll be a few more in the upcoming future. This weekend, Saturday, I've got a family thing, so I cannot do anything Saturday, but Sunday, of Where's course... that? Uh, a plug? I... <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say because the person's party it is they don't know it is. Oh, so yeah. I'm not going to say. Oh, oh. Um, might have to scrub this bitly. I'm carrying. <laughs> um, but Sunday, of course, the FAWSL is was back last weekend. I do stuff with Reading Women. They're hosting excellent. Manchester City in the early game at Adams Park. Nice, excellent. Well, listen, good luck with that, and, and hopefully we'll have you on back before the end of the season, Johnny. What's going on with you at the minute? Well. Um, we are doing a monthly podcast, the Villa Trust podcast, with uh, my fellow director, Howard Hodgson. We are of a similar age and vintage. We talk about the glory days, but we also talk about some of the kind of uh, interesting behind-the-scenes things you can see uh, and hear about and try and give a little bit of wisdom, uh, share a bit uh, about Aston Villa. Howard himself was involved in a consortium to try and buy the club, which was wow. um, uh, beaten off by Sawiris and Edens. I think we're both quite grateful of that because Howard's pockets aren't quite as deep as uh, those from Egypt and the United States but uh, that's our podcast we do that once a month and it's uh, well received and we're very grateful to the supporters of Villa and and obviously in my role um, as a Villa Trust director I am there to defend Aston Villa fans there was some very very unpleasant policing and stewarding at the end of the Crystal Palace Aston Villa game there were truncheons and nightsticks got out beating Aston Villa fans uh, it's just unacceptable yeah, in awful. the Premier League. It's just not acceptable. Yeah, and when away fans stand up, right, because we always stand up, let's not forget stewards who are free to roam and walk around, right, these are guys standing up, right, against metal and plastic seats with concrete, right, and they're all in a row. They're all not five foot six and 11 stone like those seats were meant for. Uh, these, are, these are big units. They're being pushed around and limbs can be broken in the simplest of movements. It's not acceptable to be policing like that. No, absolutely. It's, it's a good point raised, Johnny. I, uh, me and Mark were in a five and a half thousand fans of Luke Grimsby, Grimsby yeah, who were away at Prowlis. They didn't do shit to us because either they're scared of people from Grimsby or just perhaps the rules were slightly more lax it because might, might it's like that. this is their big day out. But it shows you it's one rule for one. Yeah, not nice. Well, let's uh, we'll reflect on that another time. But um, Mark, it's been a pleasure having yourself, Johnny, and Harry. Yeah, good. Cheers. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in, guys. Thank you. No, thank you. Until next week. Till next week. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.